Hey everybody, welcome to the Climbing Sycamores podcast, uh, where we look at today's topics to get a better view of Christianity. I'm Annie Beagie, and I'm joined by my friends Ben Sadler and Matt Harbach. Hey Annie, what's on your mind? Well, um, first I want to say yesterday I saw Dua Lipa in concert. Tell us about it. Yeah. What was that like? What? It was great. I, um, I won tickets on the radio, which who does that anymore? You know, um, great show, great performance. It has. I'm just excited about it. So, and now I just want to dance all day long. Prove it. I'm, <laughs> there's no music. <laughs> but yeah, I'm just wanted to share that because I'm just very excited about it and I love her. What number, like, how'd you, it was like a number caller or something on, a, on the yeah, radio? Okay. Yeah, and I called and I was number six and then I called back and I was number 10 and that was wonderful. Wow. Nice. Who, how many tickets did you get? Just two, but they were pretty decent seats and um, everybody was just dancing. It was just so fun. It's nice to have public gatherings again and do things with people again. Yes. So. Agreed. But okay, so anyway, what's on my mind besides Dua Lipa? Um, so recently I saw in the news that um, there was a priest, a Catholic priest, who um, I think he's been a priest since about the mid-90s, and he has performed many baptisms that have now been uh, marked as invalid. And it's because of the changing of one, one word, so instead of saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he said, we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I guess for me, the, the biggest problem with this is, well, my question is, you know, is there any biblical, like, substantiation to that? Like, yeah. I versus we, what does that mean? And then also, because the Catholics believe that at least my understanding that um, baptism is a sacrament that opens the door to other sacraments. Um, for them, it's it's marriage and things like that. Now they're claiming that because these baptisms are invalid, the whole next round of sacraments is now invalid as well. So people might have to get married again because for them, marriage is a sacrament. So, and what about people who are married technically and had kids, but if their marriage is invalid? You know, are they going to be looked down upon for, you know, having kids out of wedlock or that whatever? That is so much penance. I, yeah. I, I Well, that's what them. I'm saying. Like, so I, what is this and why Why is this so important? And what are the implications of this? And or should we really be making such a deal about this? Because, I, I mean, this seems trivial to me, but maybe I'm wrong. Well, here's an article. It's from NPR. I, I'll just maybe read a paragraph or two to just kind of lay out the... So this, is, this takes place in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, the priest was named Andres Arendo. I think I'm saying this right. Oh, Name nice. Right? Like that? Awesome. Uh, during, the, during baptisms in both English and Spanish, Arango used the phrase, we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He should have said, I baptize, the diocese explained. It's not the community that baptizes a person and incorporates them into the Church of Christ. Rather, it is Christ and Christ alone who presides at all sacraments. Therefore, it is Christ who baptizes. It said, um, if you were baptizing using the wrong words, that means your baptism is invalid and you are not baptized. 
And then there, the question was asked, you know, he's been doing this since 1995, so how many people has this affected? And they said, I do not have the exact number of people affected, but I believe they number in the thousands. So this is actually a really, it's kind of a strange situation, but it talks a lot about authority. And this was one of the big decisions and, and, and controversies 500 years ago um, when Martin Luther uh started the reformation was authority who gets authority and who has authority and um and so the big claim in the roman catholic church was that the authority comes from the priest and the priest has that authority from christ because of the succession of priests so you're supposed to be able to trace your um your heritage back to peter the first pope supposedly, and then he's he's passed on that succession till now. And so as a priest, you have the power to change the elements of bread and wine into the actual body and blood transubstantiation. That's the power of the priest. The priest has the power to make someone baptize. The priest has, has all these powers, and it's a, it's a story of authority. So they're at least being consistent, but you, you can see how this kind of, uh, what Martin Luther would say, legalism or finding your authority in the wrong place has created all sorts of problems. Yeah, like all you, you know, this is kind of um, cascading problems. And so what where Martin Luther landed was the authority is on Scripture alone, that uh, if, if, the, if God's word was present, it's a true sacrament. Uh, regardless of the the sanctity or the 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 motivation of the priest or the pastor, because you know he, he was talking about well, what if your priest was you know ha- had all these issues or or was doing something behind the scenes or was uh, not a true Christian? Does that mean every time he gave the sacrament, every time he preached, everything he did was totally invalid? And Martin Luther fell on the side of. No, um, it is the power of God's word that actually changes. Now, that's created a lot of other problems because now the church has splintered into, you know, now everybody claims authority. Look, at I have my Bible, so I'm going to start my own church. I'm going to start my own movement. So w- which one do you choose? Do you, mm-hmm. you want to have this consolidated authority from on top? Or is it kind of the Wild West where you have li- literally hundreds of thousands of denominations that claim authority uh, because they're the right interpreters of the scripture. So it's a, it's a weird situation, but it brings up a really big point of how we look at authority. I don't know. What do you think, Matt? I think it's all dumb. Okay. What do you mean? I think I think if at any point in your religious tradition, if if I can look at the Bible and say, well, where did you get that from? And you can't answer. Mm. I mean, you and just specifically, like, where where do you get that it has to be I and not we? Like, where does Jesus say that? And then if your answer is, well, for centuries we've taught that the church does this and Jesus <laughs> instituted this, and it's like, okay. So it's man-made. Where did G? Je- yeah, where did that, like, I, I don't know. It seems kind of... And and that's what the big argument, and a lot of people have said that kind of started about 1000 AD where the the church really started to um, take over authority of the government of the Roman Empire and really kind of uh, pushed its authority over 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 the empire and so it, it saw itself as authority over all things and getting their authority and they claim that authority because of the succession of priesthood 
uh, laying laying on of hands since since Peter that their authority didn't come from the scriptures, but authority um, comes from their priestly office. Now, you're right. You know, show me in the scriptures. Uh, I guess the the challenge with that is people all have their own interpretation of the scriptures, and so that's kind of the way the Roman Catholic Church has. Well, we are going to follow the traditions of the church, the, the the writings of the popes, and the writings of the, the 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 church tradition to be our authority, because we don't want everybody having their own perspective. And that makes sense, I think, but then there's dangers like this. And, and I just think about the people that it's impacting this, you know, this invalid baptisms thing. What happens if, if your child was baptized by this guy yeah. and your child passed away and now what is the baptism is invalid and your kid is in hell? Right. You know, and what does that mean? And cause I'm sure if you've done thousands, I'm, I mean, I would, I would imagine there's been, yeah. well, any loved one really, you know, it's like, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't like the impact it has on the people, um, and like I said, just to have to maybe redo some of the other sacraments like marriage just because this one over something I I feel is trivial. Mm-hmm. But I can understand why you maybe want consistency and authority. Yeah, but man, I, I think that's why I do fall on the side of being a Lutheran. I, I, that I want people to show, show me in God's word and I want my authority because, man, a lot of the pastors that where my mentors are no longer in the ministry. Uh, the pastor that married us is no longer in the ministry is, you know, and if we believed that everything that, you know, that, that the power of, of, of all of that, or, or if it's valid or not was based on the integrity or whatever, the life of, of, of the preacher, man, I would be really intimidated for myself to even preach at all because I want it to stand on, on the scriptures alone so that's that's a really, I think it's a really important foundation of our faith to where are you going to go for your foundation? And Jesus says, you know, when you build your life on my teachings and put them into practice, it's like you're building your house on a rock. But if you build it on a person or on their integrity or on their track record or even on the how the exact words, the interesting thing is they, sometimes people really get, there's been a debate in the Lutheran church on what is a real sacrament. Um, if you say the word, you have to say the words correctly and do you have the elements out on the altar of the church? They weren't in the back secretary. And like, if you ran out of bread and wine, do you need to reconsecrate them? And they get into all these little debates on, and, and I, I agree with you that, it just kind of shows we're putting way too much emphasis on us, on how we say things, on the procedure. And the the worst part about all this is it goes against faith. It, it harms somebody's faith unnecessarily. And it makes faith this kind of trick. I have to say the right incantation. I have to have the right priest. They have to say the right words, and then we magically get baptized. So the same thing can kind of happen, I think, in evangelical circles and Baptist circles like did you have enough water? Were you immersed? Uh, and that's another kind of thing. It's like, let's not get so upset or so concerned about trivialities. It doesn't matter where you baptize. It doesn't matter how much water you use, what kind of water you use, who said it, where you baptize. Are you a Christian? And really focus on that. Where does Jesus say that you have to say, I baptize you? 
He doesn't. Um, and, you know, closest thing is in Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus gives the Great Commission, you know, go and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Acts, it says, you know, being baptized in the name of Jesus. It, it only says, be baptized in the name of Jesus. It doesn't have that triune formula. And that's the same thing with the Lord's Supper. Every time the Lord's Supper is referenced, it, the words are just a little bit different. Same thing with the Lord's Prayer. The words are a little bit different when they show up in different places of Scripture. And so I think God is not so concerned about a magic incantation. I think that's intentional. What I told Annie the other day was that he should have claimed that he was using the royal we <laughs> and just referring to himself in a plural. Can you explain to people what that is? Because I didn't know exactly what it was. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. But what? it's funny. <laughs> Conceptually, it's funny. It, it's um, like a, a person in authority would just, you, you just use the word we when referring to yourself. You replace I with we and my my with our. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's not, um, but we, we looked this up. It's not the same as like um, crediting your institution or crediting like whatever. So okay. if you have a business and and you're really the only person working there, I mean, I've got friends who do this. Um, they'll, they'll say, we're offering our services, but there's uh, only one okay. person. You know what I mean? That to me, was, that's but what I thought you were going with. But it's not, no, it's, not, it's not quite the same as that. This is, again, this is really nitpicky, but that's why it's so funny because the issue is nitpicky. Um, but it'd be like if you said as a church, like, oh, here at Victory, we, mm-hmm. right, um, or even if you were just speaking individually and you just said we, but you were referencing the institution you're with, um, it's tech, it's technically not the same thing. It's, it's referencing yourself in a plural, acknowledging that you take responsibility or represent yeah. a collective. Anyway, that, that's what I would have argued if I were him. I'd just be like, it was the Royal we, man. It was the that's Royal, good. just because you don't know your the history of the English language doesn't make me wrong. Right. I think this brings out. Whenever you have legalism, it causes way more problems. And Jesus talked about this uh, quite a bit when the Pharisees, uh, they wanted all these little nitpicky rules about, about, for example, offerings, that you had to give this much and devote this much to the, the synagogue and to the temple and had all these very nitpicky regulations. And Jesus said, um, you demand that somebody give this amount of money. It's already devoted to the temple, but that money should be used to take care of their family. And so you nullify the word of God, which says honor your father and mother with your human traditions. And I think that's what happens whenever we make, whenever we want to get too specific as to how things have to get carried out, we nullify the word of God with our own traditions. So we all have to be aware of that because I think uh, you, you do things for a little while, it becomes a tradition. People uh, assume this is the way it has to be. And that's usually why people leave churches. They don't leave churches over God's word, but you've offended their tradition, whatever it is. And uh, and so I think we just always have to be aware of that to real- recognize the ways that we all nullify the word of God with our own perspective, our own tradition, our own preference. So, yeah. No one's going to, like, side with the Catholic Church on this one? <laughs> I was trying to throw a bone. I, I think... I have a very good friend, and I, I don't know all the reasons why, but I think it was over the issue of authority, and he saw uh, people in the Catholic Church uh, who really did help 
uh, when no one else was helping the poor. And so he has become Catholic. And I don't know all the motivations, all the reasons. Uh, I really respect him. Um, and I think the, the reality of the Catholic Church, it is so big. It is so big that you will find every, um, really every belief system, uh, liberal, theologically liberal, theologically conservative, people that you'll agree on everything with. Um, but from what I understand, the one thing, the one doctrine that you can't really go against is that the Pope is the vicar of Christ, that he is the the head of the church. Mm-hmm. Um and that's the one thing that kind of unifies everything. So, but you really could find any kind of belief system inside it because it's just so big. And and so we have to probably be careful not to put it, clump it all into one group because you'll find, you'll probably find many, many, many Catholics who disagree with mm-hmm. what happened here. Mm-hmm. That does kind of lead into this next topic that I was interested in talking about. Um, just the reality, I was, I, I was reading... Um, an article by Dave David Brooks. He wrote in, um, he wrote. I think it was in the New York Times, an opinion article on trying to save evangelicalism and how it's just the institutional church is just eroding. And there was all sorts of reasons for this. He he cited many of the things that we've talked about before. The the church getting way too connected to politics, aligning with a lot of times aligning with uh, Donald Trump or with the Republican Party or different both sides really. Um, he also cited uh, the scandals that we've had in the last few years. I don't know how many of you guys, and maybe I've already mentioned this. Ravi Zacharias, if you've heard that name, he's a leading apologist who uh, who I follow quite a bit. And then after he died, it came out that that he very sexually promiscuous all over, you know, really abusive all over the world as he traveled, um, had no oversight. Mark Driscoll, all these things, Bill Hybels, all these scandals. Um, there's just the latest one is a huge cover-up uh, amongst the Anglicans, another institutional uh, church. And then uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, one of the largest churches, uh, mainline churches in, in the world, um, has also been accused of, of racist background. And, and two really kind of celebrity people in the Southern Baptist Church, Beth Moore, who's known for all of her Bible studies and she's kind of well-known around the world. She left the, the, the Southern Baptist Church and then also Russell Moore, uh, who's a kind of a big advocate. So we're just kind of seeing the institutional church erode, and I think that kind of dovetails what we just got saying. So what is the future of the church if these institutions erode, what do you guys think? Crickets. Who dead knows? Air, dead air. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess the, I think about this because um, on one hand you have like, like you were just mentioning, you know, the, the diocese um, of the Catholic church saying none of these are valid. None of these thousands of baptisms are valid. And you got, a whole group of people saying, I don't care what any institution is going to tell me about my faith. I'm not going to listen to any institution. And so I'm, you know, I'm, we have an institution, a church that that's part of an institutional church. Uh, I wonder what is that going to look like in 20 years uh, when so many people are leaving because of these scandals? Uh, is it just going to totally erode with Christianity? Is there going to be a, a brand new thing that comes up where maybe a more honest 
uh, Christianity with integrity that's not so tied to institutions or buildings uh, that maybe is a, a smaller looking church or, or a less top down model. So maybe that's just something that's on my mind. Maybe it's not something that you guys are thinking about or concerned about or see. But as you think about your friends, are they, do they really care about, feel any kind of tug towards an institutional model of church? No, and I, I think that the institutional church is, I mean, people are leaving not just because of scandal, but as we've talked about, they're leaving for many reasons. And I know you've been kind of said, I've heard you say this before, you feel like the future of the church is just smaller groups instead of these large, mm-hmm. um, even mega churches, things like that. So I don't know. I, I, I don't know what the trends are exactly. I don't either. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know how many people are affected. Maybe they're not as affected by the scandals. I do think abuse, especially sexual abuse, that's been covered up, and it seems like every day there's another scandal that's out. And um, maybe when it be, when it comes to institutionalized, it, it, it just seems like, especially when it comes to sexual abuse, there's just such a knee-jerk reaction to cover up or to do the investigation in-house and not to be transparent. And I, I don't know if it's because there's so much money involved, so many people's jobs sure, involved. I'm sure. But that's been something that's really been hard to watch and something that as a pastor, I want to keep ma- uh, making, bring this to the forefront is let's always put children first. Let's always uh, do everything we can to um, keep them safe or call out any, any, any ways that they've been harmed. And I think that really does a lot for survivors. I think that could be one of the biggest reasons that people are leaving institutional church because of those kinds of cover-ups. It's, it seems like, um, like thinking about our church and having a big central location where, mm-hmm. I mean, people, people's time and resources come together, it seems like it'd be really hard to do the ministry on the level that we do it if we were not one central location with a leadership team, with a mission and with uh, core values that sort of drive everything we do. And if it was just, I, I don't know, I mean, what if it was just people who met in Bible studies and didn't really affiliate with each other necessarily... Um, that'd be cool. It'd be very informal. It'd be very easy to invite people. I'm very comfortable. It'd be maybe harder to join if you weren't already in one. If you were, if you didn't have a Christian background, you know, because it's not like you can just Blend go to in. church or just go to someone's house? Question mm-hmm. mark. You know. Right. Um, yeah, and then in terms of having a mission, doing goals to like donate or send money places i mean that would be hard to i don't know but but i don't know that's i guess how the church started in people's homes in in small groups essentially so well jesus said that the gates of hell will not overcome his church right his group of people so i'm i'm interested to see what kind of vibrancy comes out of all of this wreckage and uh, what kind of Christians are made through it all. Um, and I hope that that even victory can be a place, our church can be a place where 
if you've been burned or you've had some of these really bad experiences, hopefully we might be um, a place for you. But again, we can't look at ourselves as the answer. As a, I think that you know, we kind of laugh at this the story of the archdiocese. You know, saying this is you know it's not a valid baptism because you didn't say the right words because it's all about them and their power. I think maybe one of the things that we have to be careful of is not say we're the answer. Mm. <laughs> that any institution is the answer. And how do we help people just see that Jesus is the answer and institutions can get it wrong and we'll try the best that we can. But Jesus really is the answer. That's where the power comes. Um, that's what makes things valid. That's what makes uh, Christianity real and true is the Jesus behind all these, all these things. Preach! <laughs> so... Well, maybe maybe we've talked about that topic quite quite a bit. Um, Matt, I have a couple different things on what you want to talk about if you want to dive into that topic already. Yeah, my question is, what do you do about um, maybe either either comparing yourself to other people a lot or feeling competitive toward other people? Um, and I know the right answer is you find your identity in Christ. So that's... <laughs> Gonna That's cut off, you off the table the right now. Yeah. Can you now? Is there a personal story that goes there behind must this? Be. I want to hear what's really going on. Yeah, no, Matt, tell there's us. There's not. <laughs> no, I I can't think of like a specific one. It just came into my mind though, like, um, when you were feeling jealous and competitive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's stupid. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I want to know what happened. Nothing happened. No, okay. Not, okay. That's not just turning red. Okay, that's not good. A story. Um, no, I mean just just um, it it's it's interesting to me whom you consider to be peers mm-hmm. and and whom you consider. I told this to Ben. Like, I don't really ever see myself like in competition with someone like Pastor Bill. Like, we're very very different, you know. But it's like okay, someone who you maybe see yourself sort of in a similar place in life with, with similar goals. And then it seems like they're doing better. Mm -hmm. And my knee jerk reaction is like, yeah, but I bet their, I bet their personal life is awful. I hope it is. Let me find a way to knock them down (laughs) so that I can overcome that. Uh Yeah. So what do you, what do you do about that? So do you think is competition good or bad? Can it be good? When is it bad? What do you think? I mean, balance is, it's balance is the key. Okay. Right. Don't you think? I mean, we need that co- competitive drive to push ourselves, improvement. But what drives you to be competitive in the first place? Well, that's a good question. Is it is it looking at other people or is it saying... I would I'm, say I'm, it has to be. Or if you... Well... Because you're being competitive. You have to be competitive toward or against something. Could do it to yourself, no? Yeah, but it's yeah, but that's not the same. That there's a, I think that's a different... A different emotion or emote emotion or I mean, there, yeah, there's a difference between having having drive, which can turn really ugly, versus competing with other people. I want to tell us about what it's like to play volleyball, Annie. About that competitive drive, you talked about that. Right? It would be terrifying <laughs> to play volleyball I've seen the against eye roll. you. I, well, no, just because I I don't know. I people tell me I'm competitive. I don't think I am. <laughs> don't look at me like that no it would be scary as heck to play volleyball against you no it's not mm. i think like a game sets up a challenge 
but I love whenever I watch football with my wife, Emily, her favorite part is after the football game and to watch the players like congratulate each other. Like I think the game sets up a challenge. And if you didn't have that competition, you wouldn't have a reason to be there. Right. But there is still some satisfaction if you've played your best and you just, you gave everything you get. And just to see how you, yeah, how you measure up. I don't know if that always um, has to lead to, and I think maybe your level of health, like emotional and spiritual health will be how much you want to destroy that other pe- person. Mm-hmm. But can you come to the place where like, I hope you play the best that you can and I'm going to play the best I can. We'll see how this all ends up. That's how I, that's kind of how I feel like I playing volleyball, particularly I would rather play and lose to a team that was better because mm-hmm. it forces me to play better. Yeah. And I'm happy if, if my team and, and if I played well, yeah. even if we lost. Yeah. So to me, the winning piece of it isn't as big of a deal maybe as the, the journey or the, yeah. you know, cultivating the team and, you know, boosting the team up. And I don't know. I, I would. Yeah. I'm not, I don't think I'm talking about like, a game or, mm-hmm. or an organized competition life as yeah. So much as just comp being competitive in general. Well, it's our like whole when, economy is kind of based on competition, right? Yes. And, and, uh, I think I heard a professor say it this way, like capitalism turns greed into a virtue mm-hmm. and communism, um, denies original sin. Like communism, mm-hmm. you think would work, but we but we're we're not selfless enough to want everybody to have equal amount, and but but then you know capitalism can turn materialism and 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 you know all that into a, a virtue uh, of I want more than you, I gotta destroy you. Um, so yeah, I think it's a it's maybe a tension. I I don't know maybe. Will there be competition? Will we be competitive in the renewed world at the resurrection? And you know, was Jesus ever competitive as he looked at at people? Um, I don't know that he was just himself, right? And sometimes people who are just themselves just I don't know they they are envied or they I don't know they're not thinking about it necessarily. They're yeah. just living. I think if you're healthy, you see the value of what everyone brings to the table. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you, because I don't think you know, you made that comparison where you're like, I'm, I, I'm not so envious or competitive with somebody that's a different age or a different lifestyle, whatever. But somebody very similar, I want to make sure I'm a little bit better. I, yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's sinful, uh, and I think what God would want us to move towards is to see ourselves part of a body of Christ mm-hmm. and to see what that other person brings and to be grateful for them. Not so much, uh, you know, because why do I have to be better than them? Why do I have to show why I'm better? If you can't beat them, join them. That, well, that's a, that's a great question. Why? Where does that come from? Where does where does the need to be better than someone just in general come from? Insecurity. That I makes think that's sense. A, I think that's the story of Cain and Abel. You know, uh, Abel brings his best his best offering to the Lord, and Cain brings his leftovers and God looked with favor on Abel and did not look, he he doesn't say anything about Cain, not that he was despised or cursed Cain or anything, but he just didn't 
wasn't he didn't bring his best. And Kane got angry. He was it says his face was downcast and he was sad and he was angry with his brother. And the Lord said to Cain, um, why are you so angry and why are you so downcast? If you did what is right, wouldn't you also be commended? There's enough blessing to go around, um, basically. And he says, sin is crouching at your door. You must rule over it uh, or it's going to have you. And instead of ruling over his sin and his envy, he thought, I should get rid of my competition. If I could get rid of my competition, I wouldn't look so bad. But I think that competitive spirit also has that it's, it's kind of that um, uh, scarcity mentality that there's not enough blessing to go around. There's not enough of God's abundance to go around. And when you're thankful and you believe that God has enough blessing for everybody, I think that can also help take away some of that scarcity mentality or competitiveness. I feel like that's not like, I feel like that's not like a, what do you call it? Apples for apples comparison though. Why not? Well, because... Well, because Cain, it's, it has nothing to do with the sacrifice, right? It has everything to do with that Cain didn't come with the right attitude about it. Well, it says that Abel brought his firstborn. Uh-huh. So Abel brought the best. Right, but people who are trying to be competitive do try to bring the best. Cain bringing his second best was about was not about him, not, not about his sacrifice wanting to beat Abel's. It was about that scarcity mindset you talked about. Maybe I I don't know I, I I think it's a similar idea though where um, Cain thought what would make me better is if I didn't have any competition if I didn't have anyone to 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 make me look so bad um, so hmm. maybe maybe it's not exactly the same but that this idea of being able to be an individual and look at your who you are what you have to offer God what you have to offer the world without comparing it to others. And I feel like that's what Cain did. He said, you know, if I wouldn't have this thing to compare to... Because I, I think what what really gets us mad is when we see someone being excellent at what they're doing, it's judgment on ourselves. We're like, man, I'm not as great as I thought I was. And we, we don't know how to deal with that. So insecurity, pride too? Yeah, I think so. So how do you deal with that? When you're watching the news and then there's like some seven-year-old kid across the country who's better at everything than than you are. Because <laughs> there's always one. What do you think, Annie? I don't know. I don't know. I think a lot of it, well, what do we call that? That kid's really gifted, right? But, and it, but in the back of your head, be like, he's going to have so many problems growing up. <laughs> Man, his parents are ruining him. <laughs> Oh, that's terrible. That's awful. I don't know if we all think that way. Maybe. Uh, oh, man. I, I know. I, I mean, I, I've I done that. Mean. I know plenty of people who do. I know. I think that's when a healthy way to overcome that is to thank God for his gifts. If that guy's gifted, God has given them those gifts. That's who he... It's not like he got them himself. I mean, who may... It's, it's not like... Shaquille O'Neal stretched himself to be seven foot tall or whatever he was. You can't. You know, it's that. a gifted, right? Plus, also maybe a gift or a temperament, a, a a gift of a temperament to be able to handle yeah. that level of gift. Right. So, mm. like Shaq, or like maybe with a very talented musician or something at a young age, 
are you uh, take Justin Bieber for example? I mean, yeah. exceptionally talented from even from a young age. Biebs. The Biebs, Rev Biebs. <laughs> I mean, but look, he and, and yeah, he had you know he had some pitfalls and things, but I think overall, you know, he has the temperament and mm-hmm. now the 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 clout to you know make some really encouraging mm-hmm. Jesus related comments on on Instagram. So. I think the gift itself, but then also maybe considering that we're not seeing the whole picture, the temperament maybe to handle those gifts, especially as you get older and pressures and things. So there's going to be inequality. I think God is okay with, with, um, variety. And that's what I love about his, the parables, you know, the parable of the mina or the towns, whatever you want to call it, where he, one gets 10, one gets five, one gets one. God has not equally distributed talents. There's a lot of variety. And just to understand that and appreciate that and, you know, to quote Spider-Man, with mm-hmm. much power comes much responsibility yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So I think, yeah, that, that, yeah, maybe that person does have this gift, but there's a huge responsibility with that. So, yeah, again, it's probably all emotionally, mentally healthy looking at it from a 30,000 foot looking at how God has distributed things differently to different people. I don't know. What do you think? Is that helpful? Yeah. I was thinking about, um, what you said a while ago. Um, we, when you make another, you make another like false idol for yourself when you make a good thing, an ultimate thing. Yes. And so if you're make, if you, I guess if you find yourself doing that, and you think of yourself in competition with somebody else or you compare yourself or become envious, then you've made, then you're making a false idol or you're mm-hmm. making an idol for yourself because you're, you're putting more stock in, well, whatever you are, your achievements rather than giving, giving the glory or putting the trust in God. And what are all these gifts for, right? They're supposed to, they're there mm-hmm. to help. And so if the goal of your giftedness or whatever you can is just to get your own acclaim or get famous or whatever, like you're looking at it all the wrong way. Uh, I, I, we did that strength finder thing and that the guy who came in and talked, I just love this line. A gift is only a, a gift when it's used for others. There, you know, we know lots of people are very gifted, but if they're complete jerks and self-righteous and self-centered, like I'm not really envious of that at all. But if they can, but if a person can use their gift to help others, I mean, that's somebody I'd like to mm-hmm. imitate. And I think the gifts, while they have varying, you know, there's inequality and in gift distribution. A lot of that is societal too. So like we elevate certain gifts more mm-hmm. than others mm-hmm. when I think everybody, everybody has gifts. Everybody has gifts. It's just that some are maybe more hidden or um, not as valued by society as much. So like musical gifts might be um placed on a higher societal scale than you know serving or you know and that's just partially society paul talks about that i think that is first corinthians 12 he says in the christian church we are to elevate the less honorable gifts you know we should elevate people who are Mm -hmm. doing so many of these things in secret um why why the more noticeable gifts need no special honor he says and so I, I think that's really important to see the value that everybody brings to the table. And I love that when you see people who are thanking and encouraging the people who are doing the work behind the scenes, the staff, the, 
the people are doing the cleaning, the, the setting up who aren't always on the platform or the stage, whatever it is, don't get all the credit. Um, it'd be a, it's a great Christian virtue to see God at work in all those things. Martin Luther said that, that God milks the cows to the milkmaids, like God's at work in all of these small hidden ways. And we should be honoring, honoring those people. Um, all right, here's a, Here's another here's another thing that you can respond to. What do you, I guess, it seems like, I know there's some statistics about, like, the number one thing kids want to do now is, like, be an influencer, mm. be a model, be mm. famous, mm-hmm. or be a famous singer, stuff like that. YouTuber. And, yeah, yeah, but it's like you, so, and it's really easy to find people who succeed at that and maybe don't necessarily seem like they're doing it for a great cause. Mm-hmm. They seem like they're doing it for themselves. Bella Porch. <laughs> she's a called TikToker. out okay oh, yeah that's all right she's not gonna hear this um <laughs> um but uh but it seems to be working for them mm-hmm. and it seems like they're living the good life and so i'm thinking about myself you know maybe like 10 years ago and was i thinking along the ways of what am i good at and how can i do that use that to serve others for mm-hmm. the glory of god no i was not yeah I was like, you know, obviously you're like, when you're a kid, you're like trying to figure out what are, what are, what am I good at? And like, where am I going to go in life and how am I going to succeed in all of this? And what, what do you tell teenagers who just see fame, success, and at least perceived happiness that comes with that? They say, well, that's what I want to do. That looks fun and it'll make me happy and make me rich. I don't think I've done a good job with this always, but I think we need to celebrate those who serve. That that whole thing about lifting up those who serve. Because, yeah, the world is going to celebrate YouTubers because it makes a lot of money on YouTube or whatever. But to take our kids, our youth groups, our teen groups to places to see and to talk about occupations that are really making a significant difference in people's lives and really praise those people. What do you value as a family? What do you value as a church? Uh, Because, yeah, that that is the only option right now. Um, I've noticed that in my kids, too, how much they look up to these influencers or whatever. The crazy thing, I think, is that some of these influencers are just hollow. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many of you follow the... um, Hollis family. Um, what was her name? She wrote the book. Oh, Rachel. Rachel Hollis. Oh, yeah, and Dave who, Hollis. Who They're this? influencers. Yes. She came out with a book, Girl, Wash Your Face. And it was like on the front of Audible, front of Amazon books, front of, front, you know, had a big old display at... Uh, for for those of us who have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, what, so what Rachel Hollis... She, I don't she, know either. I didn't read it. I didn't, I didn't read either, but, but she she was kind of like real in um almost like a motivational speaker like and started this company that was all about influencing and wellness how are you going to have your best life now how are you going to take life by the charge you know just like platitudes and quotes and and so her whole thing was you know don't take the easy road girl wash your face do the hard thing and she was supposed everyone was supposed to follow How behind is her. Washing your face difficult. I don't know. <laughs> no. Annie, you're a girl. Answer. I don't have, maybe you got your face dirty because you were working hard, and you, then you got to. Wa- I don't know. Is I didn't it like, read it. Is it like rather than like putting on a face of makeup, you're gonna like know. show who you it are? Doesn't matter. I didn't read it. I don't. 
all I know is this is important. Her and her husband started this company that really made, I mean, really millions of dollars. Uh, they started marriage retreats and they kind of like a Christian idea, but they didn't, they said they were Christians, but they really didn't. They used kind of Christianity as a, a selling point, not ever the heart of their, their, their stuff. And they sold these like trips and retreats, a lot of money behind it. Dave Hollis worked for, uh, her husband worked for Disney and then quit his job to take over this company. And then they got a divorce. And then she wrote another book influencing that said, you know, I didn't know it was face. Yeah. (laughs) It was like, I I didn't know it was going to be that hard or whatever, or this didn't see this coming or something like that. Yeah. (laughs) That's not very nice. So, so, but I, I think we have to kind of expose that. Like if you are just an influencer, but you have no track record of actually helping people, you know, we, we shouldn't celebrate this, but we are as a country. And there's been quite a few. There's another Jan, uh, Jen Hatmaker also kind of had this like Christian wellness business. And she got a divorce too from her husband. And, uh, you know, it, it's just, that's the problem, I think, with YouTube influencers. Like, you don't know who they really are. You don't know what's really going on. You You can put any kind of projection you want. Show me what you're really doing. And the Hollis has had all this money and all this fame. You know, these are these are supposed to be things that that'll make you happy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they got they got a divorce, right. which which is I mean, it's it's sad. But it I is. I think, you know, just a point to say, like, yeah, not money and fame from influencing does not cut the mustard necessarily. Yeah. But I'm thinking, like, if you're a kid and you're watching like you it, it it takes a while for people to like really crash and burn in a public way and especially because they're in and out of the spotlight so quickly it's like this person's in and they're at the top of the charts and then in two years or just one year then the next person and you just follow these people and you don't watch them go off the deep end it's just it's an endless cycle of fame success money fame success money happiness so i i don't know that that's tough and so your but your your suggestion is that um, you you should be a better parent is what you're saying. Basic, I mean, do what we can to kind of celebrate with our kids and uh, people who are actually helping people who are actually doing significant work. Well, and I think our kids are involved in church serving. Yeah. you know whether it's music, tech, yep. uh, the Sunday school, Victory Kids. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I think that through, mm-hmm. you know, we're kind of cultivating that with our mm-hmm. our kids too. Yep. So that's that's a good thing. Yeah. And if we can take them places and say, look at what that person is doing, you know, go to somebody who's, who's taking care of inner city youth or go like the lighthouse youth ministry, or take them to these different places. A couple of years ago, before the pandemic, we went down to a pregnancy center in Kenosha right after the riots went through Kenosha. And we went and kind of helped them, uh, clear out their, their, some of the, they just need some help at the facility. And that was such a good event for our kids to talk about like what these women do at this pregnancy center, how they're helping, the sacrifices that they're making, how they're trying to help this community Kenosha after they just had that riot go through. I thought that was an event that really uh, hopefully helped them change to see what's important. And it's always going to be that way. Like that's the Christian job is to show how the values of this world don't always match up with the values of the Christian faith. 
I, I've also, it's been a wake-up call for me, too, because so many of the pastors that I, you know, we've already kind of mentioned, these Mark Driscolls, Bill Hybels, that kind of were spiritual influencers, are all out of the ministry. They've all crashed and burned. And so that's really challenged me to, you know, what kind of pastor do I want to be? Do I want to be an influencer, or do I just want to be a servant and helping in secret ways? So, Pastor Ben, how do you deal with all of the fame that comes from <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, and I'm thinking because you're like, okay, you can always say, like, thanks to everyone who helped with the service, but at the same time, you're the person that's on stage under the spotlight that everyone's listening to. And if the sermon's bad, that's your fault. If the sermon's good, people are like, oh, Ben, that was a really good sermon. That's why I'm married. My wife, <laughs> she lets me know reality, <laughs> brings you to reality. And the ki- and my kids, too, like, no, I wasn't listening at all. <laughs> <laughs> and to recognize, you know, that I think that's yeah. what, what crosses and, and, and suffering. You realize how, how many people aren't necessarily... You don't recognize who's... You don't always see who's being changed by, and I think God hides that from you. And then, um, and then when you do have some kind of success, there's ways that you get humbled. But mm-hmm. uh, I think seeing all these people crash and burn has really helped me to just say, I don't want any part of that. I'm okay not having my name on anything. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I've been thinking a lot about that. Like, it it seems like it'd be so hard to start a church, to have a mission in mind, and then you start meeting with some success. And how do you not look at that and say, well, uh, let's see, I worked super hard on this. Yeah. I poured my whole life into this and now it's working. Yeah. You know, how do you, how do you not say, well, that's, that's clearly, that's got to be at least 50% me, right? You know? That's why if you do want to go down this road, it's probably one of the best podcasts on, it's called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. They just documented that's what this Mark Driscoll did. And I, I remember following him in the beginning. He was humble. He was hardworking. He didn't want his name or face on the website. Uh, he, he, he was kind of the first one to use digital media, media to really kind of grow the church. He grew it in Seattle, uh, you know, one of the most uh, religiously, you know, uninterested cities in the world. And somehow he, he grew this church. But all of a sudden, it was like 2008 or 9 or 10, something like that. Something flipped in him where it was all of a sudden all about me. And he just, he started controlling the staff, making sure he was out in front of everything, making sure he was giving them unrealistic expectations so that he could always be platformed and it, and he, he didn't have any kind of leadership over him. So I think it is, yeah, it's a danger uh, that, that some people can go through. Definitely. You have to watch out for that. It's over and over in the Bible as well. Anytime Hezekiah got some success as a king, like he was really great when he was in really, when he was in trouble, had these honest prayers to God. But after he had some success, he invites the Babylonians in and brags about his palace and they end up taking over because he was bragging about who he was. So success is probably harder to deal with than trouble. There you go. Well, very good. I, I, I'm, I'm good. Did we Make, solve the world's problems? I think so. On this episode? At least like 20% of them. You oh, know, if, and if okay. this is encouraging and creates conversation, feel free to, uh, to share this with as many people as you can. We want to create conversation that people outside and inside the church can see what the church is really like. And Please, we people. need the views. That's We're right. Dying over <laughs> so here. we can become famous and well-known, <laughs> right. right? That's right. Influencers. Influencers. All right. <laughs> Adios. Bye. If you'd like to get a hold of us here at the Climbing Sycamores podcast, feel free to email bsadler at victoryofthelamb.com. B-S-A-D-L-E-R 
at victoryofthelamb.com. If you like today's intro music, it's been brought to you by Andrew Lynch's song, My Name, Hello.